Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. My goodness hello how are you? Oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? How have you been? I am speaking to you from springtime, April, London, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to give this spring so far three out of five. And that's quite generous because it's been very rainy and grey and cold. Like today I had to wear my puffer jacket when I was out and about and I just, quite frankly, I want more from my spring. My birthday month... I'm very familiar with it weather-wise, and it's usually really nice spring. It's just a bit cold, and I'm a bit fed up of that. Um, and how British of me to start with an analysis of the weather. But that is a very small part of the picture, really. I, uh, I've also been having, well, quite a nice time of it, actually. We're midway through birthday season this month. So Richard, my husband, is the 6th of April, then I'm the 10th, we both turned 44, then uh, not tomorrow but the next day is my eldest boy Sonny, it's his 19th birthday and then next Tuesday is my third boy Ray, it's his 11th and they've decided to both have their birthday parties on the same weekend so on the Friday night it's an eight boy sleepover for Ray and then on the Saturday night Sonny's having a load of his mates over so I'm going to be sort of in the house for both, but trying to kind of, I don't know, keep a low profile. Uh, well, keep a high profile for the young kid party and keep a low profile for the older kid party. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but the older I get, the more I like birthdays and that my expectation of my birthday and my sort of investment in it is much 
more relaxed. So anything nice that happens, I really like. And I got a Nintendo Switch from Richard and the kids, which is really cool. So I'm hoping to get into playing Animal Crossing and, of course, my beloved Tetris. And then I also, very sweetly, Richard also organised a kind of surprise birthday dinner with my girlfriend, which was really lovely of him. I've never had a surprise dinner before. I thought the two of us were going out for dinner by ourselves and then we went to this place and there was a sort of secret room with all my friends in it and it was really nice. It's a little bit surreal at the beginning. You feel a bit like you're dreaming, but then it was really lovely. And that's the sort of home life side of it. Oh, someone slammed the door. But the other stuff I've been up to is finally releasing the album. So this is my seventh studio album, Hannah, which means blossom. And actually there is a bit of blossom I can see from the window here. So, you know, it's happening. Um, so yeah, Hannah is Japanese for blossom because the album's got a slight Japanese influence in that it was inspired, a lot of the writing was inspired by a sort of idea of what Japan might feel like when I got there before I went. So I did a trip to Tokyo in 2020 and I was desperate to go. So I started writing just before that and it was kind of an idea of Japan. So slightly fantastical. And uh, yeah, so I've had my second single, Lost in the Sunshine, has just gone to radio. And I heard it the other day, played for the first time and it sounded lovely. And I'm really happy with that. And I'm filming a video for that in a couple of weeks. Well, actually, less than that. And that's all fun and games. And what else is going on? Just had my 100th Kitchen Disco radio show go out, which is quite neat with this series of the podcast. I'm about to have my 100th guest on here. And, oh, my word, this series. You're going to be really happy with me. I've got such an incredible group of people to talk to. And I can say this with confidence because I've recorded all of them already. So I know what's in store. Some lovely, lovely things are awaiting your ears. And thank you so much for being there. Ready to hear what we've been up to over here. Because it's, um, well, you know, I say this to you every time, but I bloody love doing the podcast. It takes up so much of my brain in a really good way. As in, it's a real pod- passion project, like... I think about it a lot. I think about guests all the time. Um, I'm sure I've told you before, but I do the bookings myself. And so that means I'm very, very sort of, you know, closely connected to the entire thing from, you know, the first outreach that I do to someone I want to speak to, to quite often having them around to my house. It's all very personal and very lovely. And I never fail to be amazed with the people that uh, say yes to me. I'm a very lucky person. And this first guest of the 10th series is no exception because there's the lovely singer Katie Melua. So Katie, very kindly, and I had Claire, producer Claire and I over to her house where we also got to meet her tiny baby son, who was very sweet. And it was really interesting hearing, I think Katie is the newest mum I've spoken to on the podcast since I started. So she only became a mum in December. And we spoke in February, so was it, or was it March? It was recent anyway, so let's say, I think it was maybe the beginning of March. So, you know, very re- new to motherhood, but it's clearly something that's been on her mind a lot before that. Oh, it's my doorbell. See, normally a long, long ring like that, I'd say, is my teenage son, but he's in the house, so it must be someone else. Anyway, um, yeah, it was lovely to hear how she was finding it all. And she obviously really wanted to be a mum and then thought that maybe it might not happen. And she's very open and she'd already written an article as well about the fact that she froze her eggs with a sort of view to motherhood. But, you know, it was looking like it might not be something on the cards. And actually her album, Love and Money, which has just come out, is very closely woven with the idea of this impending motherhood 
and taking stock of where she's at. And the music's beautiful. I really love the album. I love particularly the single Golden Record. I thought it was really beautiful. And there's a lovely confidence to her songwriting and the way her voice sounds, which is gorgeous. And she's a very open woman. Um, you're going to hear, and I, I should warn you that uh, Katie's very open about, I suppose you'd call it a, a nervous breakdown. Uh, it's a, a period she had of extreme mental unwellness and uh, mental health unwellness, that doesn't sound right. A time when her mental health was greatly challenged and uh, and how that affected her and also the support she received from her doctor who, uh, well, it's, yeah, she sort of talks about, about him and I just want to sort of preempt that for you a little bit just in case that's something that you might be sensitive to. So... Make sure you're in the right place to listen if that's something that could be upsetting. But I would say overwhelmingly the positive is where she finds herself now. So we start from a happy ending, as I say. So it's, it's, a, it's a story that's really positive and full of lots of good stuff. And thank you to Katie for being so open with me. Thank you to you for being here. Thank you to gorgeous Ella May who does the artwork for me every series. Thank you, Ella May. You know I think you're brilliant. Thank you to my producer, Claire for being part of this with me from day one, from a first lunch I took her out for where I said, I think we should do a podcast together. She's been so brilliantly supportive. And thank you to my editor and husband, Richard, who inadvertently found himself in the role of editor and now reluctantly would admit that he actually quite enjoys it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's not working. So thank you, darling. Thanks for all that you do. But actually, yeah, it's always mainly thanks to you and thanks to the guests because they provide the conversation and you provide the ears. So good to have you back. Good to be back. And quite sweetly, as I finish this little introduction, the sun's come out. Hey, spring is here after all. Four out of five, not three out of five. I'm going to up it one star. <laughs> See you on the other side. Katie, it's so nice to see you. Thank you so much, Sophie. Lovely to be chatting to you. Yeah, and what's really lovely is um, of all the chats we've done, which uh, is numbering in the 90s now, you are the newest mother I've spoken to. Oh, yay! Which is actually really <laughs> cute because I was thinking about it this morning that it's such a remarkable time when you're a new mum and you're saying your baby is only three months. Just gone three months, yeah. And it's actually a lovely time to document because it's really magical and... How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's a bit of a trip. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I feel like getting this far in terms of becoming a mum was such a big thing for me because, um, you know, I was just, and I'm still in love with my job. I love making records, everything that that entails, working with songs, going on the road. And of course, like, it's the ego trip of it. You know, let's face it, like, you know, being an artist in the music industry, you, you know, you get to make work that then you, you can connect with lots of people and they sort of, they clap at you at shows and, and all of that. So I just found it really hard to go, okay, I'm ready to do this. Like, I'm ready to sort of step aside and essentially, you know, dedicate my life to another human being. Um, so when it finally happened, it, it was, it just felt like a fairy tale because I think, you know, I guess I sort of went, okay, yeah, I can do this. Like, I will be... Um, a good mum, you know, and I was afraid of that, of like not being good enough as a parent and not being good enough, you know, as a musician, because then suddenly you have to give everything to that job, don't you? Mm, um, definitely. So, but what was bizarre was when he was born and actually even before it, I just felt 
like I felt like my confidence went up massively as a woman, you know. Um, I think maybe because it had been so long, um, there were definitely periods of time where I thought, you know, will I ever get pregnant? Like, you know, it wasn't always the easiest to sort of get pregnant. Um, so then when it did happen, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I can do this. You know, I, I, I can be, you know, the kind of sort of strong female mother character that I kind of imagine myself in a few years' time. And then to answer your question of how it's been, um, it's been utterly magical. I mean, as you know, it's exhausting. The nights are pretty tough. But honestly, he like, he smiles and giggles and then everything is just totally perfect. Um, but yeah, it's, the other thing I found was just around the time when he was born, I remember feeling so kind of exhausted that there was this fog of tiredness that I was just trying to like concentrate really hard to try and remember everything. You know, I really wanted to sort of take sort of photographs in my mind of what it felt like, you know, those early weeks. Mm. Um, and I feel like just now in the last few weeks, I'm starting to come out of that fog. Um, yeah. And it's quite magical. I vaguely remember that feeling. I think there's also such a lot of hormones. I mean, obviously the hormones sustain for quite a while, but that first rush when you've just given birth, there's so much going on. And I wonder, I don't think every, every new mother does experience that lift of confidence. That's really quite special, I think, to have that. And I wonder what fed into that. I mean, I suppose there's lots of things, but you're maybe... All, I wonder what helped make all those worries and anxieties you had kind of melt away. I think it was partly because, like, I wanted to be a mum from probably about the age of 26. And there was always, you know, so and at that time, it was around that time that I got married. Um, I actually then ended up getting divorced seven years later. And, and of course, you know, the relationship wasn't quite right, but we were trying to conceive um, during that relationship. And you know, for that period when suddenly it was like, oh, actually, this isn't working. And for some reason, I'm not getting pregnant. Um, I think it was suddenly the the idea that it could never happen, mm. I think, was what terrified me. And then, but then also realizing the reason why it wasn't happening wasn't just the fact that the relationship wasn't right. It was because, you know, I probably... You know, I'd grown up in the early 90s when, as a teenager, you were told, you know, don't get pregnant. It's the worst thing that could happen. You know, mm. you look at a boy and you could get pregnant. So you sort of, like, gear your body up towards thinking, I mustn't get pregnant. You know, I want to become an independent woman. I want to have a career. Um, and so I feel like that pattern kind of persists. So when then, you know, I finally sort of realised that it was it was also not just a fertility issue, but it was also a psychological issue... I just sort of started to kind of let go of all of that, I guess, anxiety around, mm. you know, getting pregnant, not getting pregnant, um, you know. And then uh, around, you know, the time of COVID, I met my partner, Ollie, um, and it just was very easy with him. You know, like everything was just kind of felt super fun, natural, carefree, um, you know, and actually during us dating... Uh, in literally on the second day, I said to him, look, you know, I want to have kids. If you're not interested, then this might not be the right thing. Uh, but I said, but look, I don't want to put any pressure on us. So I'm going to freeze my eggs and um, essentially take that pressure off. And he was always super chilled about it. He'd always like use the right kind of joke to kind of lighten the conversation up. Um, and I went through the process of freezing my eggs. I did it 
into three rounds. And then my fertility doctor said to me, okay, now you've frozen your eggs, there's your insurance policy. You know, if you feel like you're ready to try, do that. But after three months, come back to me. And I thought, gosh, three months probably isn't a long time because I know the average is about six months for most couples to get pregnant. But we, it happened for us after two months. And then I guess it was, you know, all those sort of things that fell into place um, just made me feel like, oh, finally it's happened. It feels right, you know, with Ollie and can't wait to start a family with him. I also felt confident in terms of where I was with my work. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, I often think about the fact, okay, it's so intense to be a mum. Okay, I know I've only had the job for three months, but I realise if it had happened earlier in my life where I wasn't where I feel, you know, I am now in terms of my work, yeah, I don't know if I would have had the same level of confidence and, and calm about it. Yeah, it's funny you say I've only had the job for three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, yeah, I'm thinking about the fact that there's so many women who invest a long time in a serious relationship in their 30s and then when they come out the other side and they're, they've flipped that from that bit where they feel like they've still got a lot of time at the beginning and then to they're getting past their mid-30s and thinking, oh, I'm single and yeah. all those things I thought I might do. And now there's a very real possibility that that's not going to happen. Exactly. That was exactly me. Because, yeah, I was 36, divorced, um, you know, not in a relationship and... Also, COVID had just hit. Yeah, and I have to say, like... that's not conducive to me yeah. people normally. <laughs> I have to say, so January 2020 was the first time in my life where I bought five dresses in order to be ready for, like, nights out. Because before that, oh. my entire, like, all of my 20s, I was like, I wasn't really a big party person. Mm -hmm. And every time, like, you know, some kind of event came on, I was like, oh, God, what am I going to wear? Uh, so in January 2020, I was like, I'm going out. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally like, right, I'm going to get these dresses. I'm going to be ready. Any invite, come my way. Uh, and of course, you know, March. <laughs> Have you won, won them? Uh, I did wear them for some okay. shows, actually. That's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> but there was, there was quite a few that never got worn, which is a real shame. <laughs> Don't worry. I mean, I remember at the beginning of 2020 being like, this is the year where I'm going to have my hair cut regularly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> But um, I think that thing as well of dating, when you know that your biological clock is ticking and you're thinking about well, that is also a thing that's quite tricky, isn't it? It's really tricky, yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you just, I mean, I just didn't want to freak him out. Um, and it's so funny, actually. A few months in, he had made a list of what he was looking, well, sorry, before we started dating, he told me that he'd made a list of what he was looking for in a woman. And... Um, and he was like, you meet, he was like, it's a, it's a list of 10 things. And he's like, you meet nine of them. And I was like, oh, what's, you know, and I was thinking in my head, what's the last one? Obviously, mm -hmm. that was the thing that I, I wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And I asked him recently, I was like, so what was that 10th thing? And he was like, I was looking for someone who wasn't in a rush to have a family. And so I kind of realized, that. I was like, oh, wow. So he, he was able to overlook it because things were going so well. But yeah, I can imagine for like guys in their 30s, mm. that's the big big thing out there where you know when they start dating most girls are going to be um yeah. thinking about that also shows maybe when you make a list you don't always know what it is you really oh yeah so <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> rip it up I say yeah <laughs> um so you mentioned about feeling more confident with your work because it sounds like you worked pretty much through your whole pregnancy and now you're about to 
bring out an album. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I worked in my pregnancy and essentially worked, you know, made the record that's about to come out. Mm-hmm. We finished it in around, well, it was August. So a good two, three months before Sandra was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sort of, as soon as he was born, it was, you know, time away from work. There was a little bit of video shooting to do. So I'm not really in the music videos that we shot. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's it's nice that we were able to do that. I mean, I have to sort of say thanks to, <laughs> this is going to sound really maybe o- over the top, but my management were amazing in terms of helping to plan around the pregnancy. And I think that just shows you, re- like, I felt like I really needed that support at work, mm. you know, from my team to be like, you know what, we've got this, we can work around this, you know, this, this is going to be, because it's so important to be... Oh, I don't think that's failed, the top you know? to thank your management at all. Yeah, that's like, that's the, the framework and you need those people on your side and to understand your priorities shifting. And also sometimes if you're someone like you who's got a very strong work ethic and has always dedicated so much to it, you need some people who, who are going to say, actually, we're going to help you shape exactly. it to, to help you yeah. make sure you don't end up thinking, taking on too much. Yeah, that's so... It's very easy to do that. So true. No, that's exactly what... Um, what they're like mm. and it's fantastic you know Sumit Bothra he's he's the main manager Olivia Plunkett who works with him too and they totally get it and you know even now there's um you know all the promo surrounding the record but it's you know like roughly about one or two interviews a day which is totally doable so yeah. that means you know I'll be joining my son in the park for a walk later mm. on um and you know and that's great uh so yeah no, that's really lovely. And how do you, I mean, I know it's kind of early days, but can you, can you feel that it's been nice for you to have your work there or does it, does it feel comfortable? Yeah, it does actually. Um, when does, I'm just trying to think, when does it not get comfortable? I guess, well, I've got a tour coming up and... So when's that? So that's in April. Okay. Uh, and there's, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I, I just fancy doing it. Um, there's a song of mine called Remind Me To Forget which a German artist called Philipp Hosel translated into German, and then we sang a duet. Mm-hmm. And when we recorded it, this was about a year and a half ago, um, you know, I did the German lyrics by sort of reading them, but now I've got shows in Germany and he's going to be joining me. So I've, I, I want to sing it in German. Right. I don't speak any German at all, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I need to sort of like map out all my practice. So wow. not only are we practicing the guitar parts for all the other tunes, but also the German for that one song, all the lyrics for the new songs. Um, and then also, I was on the phone to my tour manager the other day and we were like, okay, what kind of crib are we going to get to put in the tour bus? And, you know, what kind of laundry detergent do we need? Because, crazily enough, we're doing non-disposable nappies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that involves the whole thing in terms of the washing. Yeah. And that's all going to go on the road. So, yeah, there's just a lot of planning. Yes. Well, I when I toured with my baby... Um, he was in a Moses basket, but oh, I guess I'm trying to think if Sandro will still be at the stage where he doesn't try and sit up or roll over. He, I think he might be. He's just on the cusp. Yeah. So I, I think th- that was kind of easier, the little baskets, you know. I just used to have... Yeah. It was very wholesome. I'd finish oh the God, gig and then that. come onto the tour bus and it would just... He'd be sleeping, waiting for me on the That's on amazing. The bed. It was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was Brilliant. really nice. There's something very pleasing about coming off stage and there being your baby because... Obviously, you always love what you do for a living and you love performing and it feels great to be in that moment. But then to come out to find your, your world waiting. Yeah, of feel, course. feels really magical. It's, it's quite something, isn't it? it I mean, is. I've, um, I've had a few days where 
my mum, who lives, I'm so lucky to have my mum living close by, so she'll take him for a walk. And, and sometimes I'll do like a little, like, I'll be honest, I'll do like a little freedom jig. I'm like, yes, you know, because you've had a crazy <laughs> night. And it's like, okay, I just need like a moment to myself. Mm. But then he comes back and it's just perfection. And it's like I've missed him and he's been away for so, so long. Yeah, I know. It's really special, all of that. Um, and that's lovely that your mum, so she's local, is she? She is local, yeah. That's, that's very special too. It's, it's incredible. I know your mum lives close by too, doesn't she? Yeah, she does, yeah. I really like it. And I think it just, I remember the bits where, when the baby's are little and if all I do is like meet up with her for a coffee somewhere or go yeah, for a walk around exactly. the park, yeah. it feels like you've done something and exactly. seen someone. And if you need to stop or adjust something or you've taken too long, yeah. someone who's going to completely understand all of that. And Absolutely. Happy to hold the baby while you sort something and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think it's part of that it takes a village to raise, yeah. you know, a little one. I mean, you know, sometimes it's obviously just me and Ollie looking after Sandro. And you kind of realise, wow, you know, even two people is, you know, we're sort of maxed out. <laughs> you know, and I think I might have even read somewhere that it takes three people to raise a baby, oh. <laughs> which is remarkable because then you wonder... The partner and the baby? <laughs> well, yeah, good point, I know. But you just wonder how single mums do it. Oh, I know. I have no idea how. And I, I think that must be, I think because there's little, some of the stuff that I think is really tricky on your own is just the casual end of day stuff. Someone asking how you are, someone making you a cup of tea, someone, you know, sharing in the experiences you've had that day. So I think when you haven't had that, that must be very hard yeah. on your headspace. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just kind of because it's constant, isn't it? It's, it is constant. Um, and I just find it, I mean, you have five, right? I do. That's remarkable. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. And they're getting bigger, which is disconcerting. Oh, I love that. <laughs> My four-year-old looked around the house there and he said, the house is actually quite small. Oh. <laughs> it's not quite small. We've just maxed it out. It's Fantastic. Silly. Um, but I, I'm thinking about when you say about learning German for a gig that's coming up in April, and I was thinking, that doesn't surprise me that much because when I was sort of looking through your career, it feels like you actually are... You're obviously, you've achieved a lot, but you also still regard yourself as a bit of a student. It looks like you're always learning and trying to see how you can better what you're doing. And it looks like it's kind of gone exponential with that, that sort of journey of, of learning since you first started with your first album. Yeah, I mean, I have to say I'm obsessed with learning and like education and yeah, getting better. But I also like recognise there's something a little bit... Uh, tough about that kind of personality trait because you know at some point you do have to well I've had to say to myself look this is good enough like you don't need to perfect something and actually sometimes perfectionism slows you down mm. um but yeah I, I love the idea of I mean I don't know I I had a quite a fortunate experience in school and this is going to be weird because actually I went to something like five schools as a child and that was because my parents moved around a lot we came from Georgia, which is in Eastern Europe. I'm sure a lot of people know where it is, but it's not the one in America. Um, and, you know, I had two, I had two well, one sort of kindergarten school in Georgia, primary school. Then we moved to Belfast, primary school there, secondary school there, and then um, non-such high school in Surrey, and then the Brit school eventually. So that's, yeah, that's quite a lot of schools, but I just loved it. And I think the reason why... I became so kind of into the idea of learning is because in Georgia, the schooling was, the buildings were grey and they were shut at wintertime because it was too cold to heat the buildings. Whereas once we moved to the UK, the schools were colourful, bright, 
you know, just that kind of visual and sort of, yeah, I mean, something as basic as heating, you know, made, mm. a, made a huge difference. Um, and it just seemed like there was so much opportunity here in the West. I mean, it's interesting, you know, this idea of being a mum, you know, and this idea of femininity definitely comes back for me to Georgia and like witnessing my mum and, you know, my grandma being very much bound to the house. Um, you know, their jobs were to sort of make the food, do the cleaning, you know, really look after all of us, the kids, you know, and the males, the men could sort of go off and they seemed to have more freedom. And that really um, struck me at a very young age as thinking that was very unfair. And I thought, you know, I really want to have my my own job. I want to make a career. The... Um, the female who was an absolute icon for me was Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley in Aliens. Because, you know, she absolutely, you know, she was the smartest, she survived the longest, mm -hmm. she, you know, she essentially killed off the aliens in that film. And she was essentially a really strong female sort of empowerment model for me. Um, so, yeah, when we moved to the West, I just suddenly thought, okay, this is an opportunity to, to really do, you know, the best that I can. And, and that's why I think... I fell in love with learning and education because I, I thought that's the way to sort of, you know, get somewhere in life. Yeah, and I guess if you've, if you've come over and you've suddenly got way more opportunities opening up, there's a certain pressure of, like, seizing what's ahead of oh you. Oh, my God, yeah, there absolutely is. There's huge pressure. Um, you know, and also you've kind of said goodbye to your extended family back home. Yeah. Uh, and there's always that little bit of guilt of kind of, okay, we're the lucky ones that got the, got the ticket. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, it, it can be quite delicate. But also, you know, my family are, you know, I feel so lucky with the family that I was born into. They're all incredibly generous, really funny, you know, and they also deal with tough things. You know, or they, I've witnessed them dealing with tough things really well. You know, they're still, they still cherish life. Mm. Um, and I love that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, that, I think it must be quite a defining thing if you've had that sort of nomadic lifestyle, had to move around and start new schools. And then when you get to somewhere like Brit School and you meet peers we've obviously all joined together because the arts resonate and mm. music but you've brought with it this acknowledge you know you know that this isn't a really extra special experience yeah to be able to just do the thing you love day in day out I know it was magical you know and I keep finding it incredible that actually a lot of people don't realize the Brit School is free mm. um you know, and I say this because I know a few years ago they were trying to raise funds because the yeah. government had cut, you know, the sixth form um, uh, funds that there were available. Um, so I had the best time there because, yeah, as you say, suddenly everyone was into music, everyone was into the arts, um, you know, and essentially we're able to kind of, I mean, just being in that environment, it's so powerful. And you know what? It makes me realise why now, for example, um, because we've had COVID and because I've become a mum, I definitely feel slightly removed from, you know, that that creative life and mm. the, um, you know, the, the industry that I love and cherish. And I think it is because, you, you know, I'm not having that sort of random conversation with my bass player about what he's listening to. Yeah. You know, or like, you know, or seeing my, you know, the piano player in our band, like, play something stunning and then it sparks something off in your brain. You're like, oh, that makes me think I should write a song in that kind of key. And, mm. you know, all those types yeah. of interactions are so important for creative people, as, yeah. as you know. No, I, I really missed all that too, the sort of casual interactions that set the template when everything got so distilled. Yeah. It's like, well, obviously, I, I love performing, but actually it was all the stuff around it that was really important yeah, to me as well. Yeah, I know. You know, meeting up with people and chatting and the setup. And as you say, the kind yeah. of casual bits, we go, oh, actually, that's made me think of something and I'm going to use that. And exactly. what was that you were saying about? And, oh, yeah. I must listen to that. And exactly. That stuff's really good. And... I was thinking as well that with you were talking about the sort of tough mindset of, of people you've seen and family members and how they've dealt with stuff. But I think the music industry is really, really tough. And whilst it is very unique to have the level of success that you experience, and especially so early into your career, like you were literally like 19. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was 19 when Closing to Crazy came out. Which is, <laughs> which is crazy in itself. Yeah. Right, isn't it? <laughs> but... Um, sustaining a career is tough and I wonder if sometimes with all the extra armory of things you're learning and stuff you're you're looking towards and collaborating if it also slightly tries to armor you against of course going away as well 100% can make you more equipped to keep going yeah that's a brilliant way of looking at it um 
there's no doubt. I mean, I would think, oh, you know, I'm so lucky to have, you know, had the success. So like when I was 18, 19, I absolutely thought when I was 21 that I was like, okay, this will be over in a few years time. Um, like I was comp like convinced of it because that's just what you witness. Um, but then I think, yeah, maybe that sort of survival mechanism was constantly learning, constantly sort of working with interesting people. And in a way, I guess it is a survival mechanism, but it works to some extent. You know, like I collaborated with the Gory Women's Choir in Georgia um, in 2016. Yeah, so it was magical. And, you know, they, you know, they were this choir that were essentially, you know, they'd been really huge during the Soviet times. But, you know, since the breakdown of the Soviet from, you know, 1991, they'd kind of just stayed in their mountains, sort of rehearsing in, in Gori, practicing in the summer times. Um, and then, you know, we did this project and we toured Europe. They taught me so much. There were certain vocal techniques that I hadn't ever realized, how to sort of really protect your voice from, uh, you know, getting too damaged. Um, and it was, like, amazing. And then that does lead to more opportunities. And, and so I think it is a good thing, even though, yeah, you're right, you know, you feel like you're in danger of, okay, this is going to be over soon in terms of the career, but then you sort of, you know, fight against it or you explore various different avenues and it leads to some, you know, major positivity. Absolutely. No, I think it's a way of keeping things fresh as well because then when you work with new people and you keep open to things, if you can keep a kernel of optimism and curiosity yeah. about being creative, I exactly. mean, it's, it's the most, it's a more fertile soil, isn't it, for actually come up with new things. So true. And like, I think curiosity is a big, big one. It is. Um, because you kind of, you know, then you're not being too judgmental about it. But of course, like I have to say, as a new mum, you know, I do, f and, and also because of COVID, like there is this sort of compounded feeling of, you know, gosh, like I'm not out there as much, you know, you know, will I, will I work in the same way as, you know, can I pull myself away from my son to sort of really kind of invest everything that needs to be invested in a piece of work? Um, and those are quite scary thoughts. And obviously being mum for three months, I'm kind of still in there. <laughs> How have you found it? Like, I think you, you know. can feel your way with it. I mean, the lovely thing about what we do is that you can set the parameters of when you work and when you don't. Yeah. And actually, I think I'm much more at peace now with the part of me that needs to work and get satisfied by that than when I was when I was, had my first baby. Right, yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're in a good spot with it because you've had... I didn't really think about it as much, to be honest oh, yeah. with you. <laughs> um, I, when I found out I was having my first, I was just starting to promoting my second album. And okay. it was, just, it was well, all a bit yeah. of a, okay, yeah. that was unexpected. I and mean, it wasn't a planned baby. It was still a very wanted baby, but I didn't plan on getting pregnant when I did. So... And then I think because I was in my mid-20s, I was 25 when I had Sunny, and I think I just didn't know what... I was supposed to look like being a yeah. pop dance artist who was also a new mum. Amazing. I felt like they were quite uncomfortable bedfellows. And can I ask, I mean, you know, how was it in terms of the industry? Because um, I, I know sometimes, you know, the people around you, um, you know, weren't always supportive. But that was yeah. really before the sort of mental health conversation kind of came to the fore, right? Absolutely. I think there's a few things that have shifted. I mean, this is nearly 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I think absolutely mental health, but also I think there's a lot more out there in terms of working mothers. I just think yeah. we, we see a lot of examples of women, you know, like 
Rihanna on the cover of Vogue yeah. with her baby and, you know, doing the Super Bowl and Beyonce and people who just look like they are really working hard and also prioritising, making sure they've got that in their life too. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, I'm not saying there weren't lots around, but I just can't really think, I couldn't really think of anyone in my my peer group that was also having babies. And I think my main reference was like Nana Cherry, who I'd seen on Top of the Pops when I was about eight. Yeah, wow. Um, but I didn't really know many people. And I think at that time, because of also the genre of music I was in, uh, I felt like it was, as I say, quite clunky okay. to have this sort of club music you normally hear in clubs. But obviously I'm yeah. not going clubbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, you're, you're, you're in a more, from the outside anyway, it looks like you're in a more natural place to be able yeah. to let your music and your lifestyle support yourself because... When I was listening, I've got, as we're talking, going round and round your, your single, Golden Record, which I think is so beautiful. And that seems to be a song about uh, understanding about finding happiness really close to home and not feeling yeah. you need to look outside so much. Exactly. Am I, am I right? No, no, absolutely. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things in that song, the scene changing and mm. in a way, yeah, realising that I was ready to have kids. Um, so when did you actually write that? I wrote it. About a month or two before I got pregnant. Ah, okay. It was quite remarkable. Wow, because it yeah. speaks about your friends having a dinner party and they're talking about their kids growing up yeah, and they're thinking, and everybody's kind of changing with yeah, how you are. Exactly, everyone's talking about their kids and it's like, you know, that's not, you know, I'm making my ninth record soon. And yeah. <laughs> um, those are my kids, but of course it's, you know, it's just uh, show business in a way, which means an awful lot, but... At the same time, it's not, you know. Mm. Um, but you know what, your point about having role models around you is so important. And one of the biggest role models I had as a mum was actually my front of house engineer, Bryony October, who I know you worked with too. Well, she's worked with my feet, um, the feeling, my husband's band. Yeah, right. so I've met her. Um, and she's really lovely. I don't she's know as amazing. well as you do. But. Well, she's, so she's been, um, you know, a crew member uh, for since she was like 16 years old. And so she's now a brilliant front of house engineer. So that means, well, um, you know what that means, but I don't know if the listeners do, yeah. which is she kind of, she's got the most important job in the crew in the sense that she's making sure the sound of the speakers at the venues are perfect. You know, So what we do on stage, she kind of translates that yeah. into the audience. Um, and we started working together about five years ago and pretty much from day one, both of us were talking about, oh, you know, really want to have kids, but is it the right thing to do? When is it the right thing to do? Will it kill our careers? You know, we were always, our chat was always about that. And then in 2020, she had her little boy called Jesse. Um, and it's been amazing. Like, she's done a phenomenal job of being a mum. She got me into non-disposable nappies, for example. She sent me like a six-pager email on like, which ones are the best ones, how to use them, what the washing is like. Um, you know, she kind of introduced me to the La Leche League, which is the breastfeeding. Well, this was obviously after I got pregnant, but, you know, having her there as a work colleague, really kind of just bossing it beautifully, it was very inspiring. Yeah, and um, also for, for context, having, having a crew member who's a mother is unusual in itself anyway there's I don't work with very many female crew it's just that yeah. they're in the minority but also the fact that working with you has meant that she's been able to bring her baby along is incredibly unusual again yeah well I have to say you know we didn't want to let her go you know she's brilliant at her job and um and she didn't want to stop doing because it's a huge part of who she is mm. um so she wanted to bring her baby along she kind of 
got everything sorted in terms of, you know, she's lucky to have a mum to be able to come on the road to be the babysitter, um, you know, and she'd kind of figured everything out. But we did, interestingly enough, we did have a bit of resistance, um, you know, amongst some of the other team members. And, you know, fairly enough, they were talking about things like health and safety, like, is it okay to have, you know, will it affect Bryony's capacity to the job, which is actually not a cool, like, that's not cool. Um, but we sort of had to go through a bit of a process. And in the mm-hmm. end, of course, the right decision was made. It's like, okay, no, you know, this is a, a brilliant person who's great at their job. They've got a way of making it work, of bringing their baby on the road. Of course, you know, health and safety does need to be considered, but we can do this, mm. um, you know, and let's be on the right side of history. And we yeah. did, and, and honestly, it was amazing. You know, and also if you think about it, like Jesse as a two-year-old experienced you know, such wonderful things. And now he's utterly obsessed with guitars. (laughs) She's messaging me sort of, you know, videos of him, um, you know, being obsessed with John Mayer. (laughs) You can get him on backline, you can be your backline. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think as well, I was thinking while you were chatting that there's, we're actually at a time as well where we're seeing so many more examples of women in lots of different lines of work bringing their babies and making it visible. You know, I'm thinking about like Jacinda Ahan being the, Prime Minister of New Zealand and giving yes. birth while she's, yeah. you know, prime minister, things like that. That that just this is all relatively recent, isn't it? That we're, yeah. and I think as well when you were saying before about how it works, I think I think you can have a bit of trial and error as well. Yeah, of course. You can have your yeah. instinct about what might work, and then if you go away and you think actually no, I would have much preferred this if I'd just been able to focus, or yeah. if actually I'd, I would have found this much better if I brought my baby, or whatever it is that works for you. Exactly, yeah, it doesn't need can... to be perfection, does it? No, I mean, I do feel a little it's a bit... moving feast. It's pretty intense that Jahinda, she had to, um, you know, obviously step aside now, right? Mm. And, I mean, I think politics is incredibly different to what we do. Yes. I mean, we're able to sort of take time out and be like, okay, I'm taking two years yeah. off, I'm going to write songs, I'm going to spend it with my family. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, I think jobs like that. And it, I really think it's a shame because, you know, politics is such an important job and you want females to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even Nicola Sturgeon resigning, you know, she mentioned her family too and her nephews yeah. and nieces, I believe. Um, you know, it's like, you know, how do they... How 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 does that job get given a bit of a break where where it is a lot more welcoming for women and mothers? Yeah, but I suppose the the conversations have as well as about the broader picture of people having a life outside of their work full stop, yeah. even if it's not going home because they've they're a parent. Um, of course, you know fathers would be included in that and needing to have priorities. But I think also, you know, just understanding that we can make working days fit around people being able to you know, get home to their pet, get home to their hobbies, Mm -hmm. get home to whatever it is that gives them that other headspace because uh, there's not really many things where you need to be that that married to your job. I don't know if many people get that much satisfaction out of that. And there's probably a lot of people keeping up front so going, yeah, it's fine, I'll work till 10 and thinking, yeah, this means I won't go and be able to go and visit my relative. This means I won't be able to get home water my plants, whatever it might be. Yeah. And often it's good for the job to actually step away and, exactly. you know, take a walk with your family and nature yeah. and because then it inspires you, right? Absolutely. You know? And talking of inspiration, so what were you, have you, did you write songs as well while you were pregnant or was the album was, pretty much done? It was pretty, I mean, there was a little bit of finishing of the song. So there was about three or four that was sort of having finishing touches when I was pregnant. So the main thing was doing a tour when you were pregnant. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I toured, and I was very much like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. I didn't know what kind of pregnancy I was going to have. I was really afraid of that. I was like, I'm going to, am I going to be puking up every single day? And 
Um, but it was honestly, it was fine. You know, mm. there was, I had the weirdest nausea of like, if someone spoke about food in detail. Oh, really? Was, yeah, really weird. So, you know, oh. if someone described a menu, I'd be like, okay, now I feel nauseous, <laughs> but I could eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was amazing, you know, to step out on stage, you know, being like six months pregnant. Yeah. And also the audiences were great because obviously I hadn't toured because of COVID, mm. you know, and the atmospheres were just amazing. Yeah. Um, is that the right way of saying it? Um, the atmosphere was amazing. Yeah, it and it's was, also, it's, it's sometimes surprising because you feel like when you, you know, your body's changing and you've got your bump and I've, I found sometimes it made me feel a bit, I'd feel a bit ridiculous physically and then other times I'd feel incredible. Yeah, just like, yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I mean, I really, uh, there was one gig towards the end of that tour and it was very hot and it was an outside gig. And luckily, it was actually the last show. Um, actually, no, it was the second to last show. And I thought, oh, my God, I've just reached my limit. Because mm -hmm. I kind of felt like there was also lots of um, insects flying around. I don't know if you ever do that. Oh, when yes. you have an and, I, and I remember just really <laughs> overheating and yes. thinking, oh, my God, am I going to pass out? So, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't. But I remember thinking, I'm glad we're just coming to the end of this now. Yeah, there comes a point where you think, I think maybe I need to take it for yeah, easier now. Yeah, exactly. And... I also remember, I think you wrote an article, was it for Grazia, where you were talking about yeah, yeah. new motherhood and you described when you first went out as a new family and how everything looked, the colours looked extra specially. Yeah, right. And... It was amazing. I mean, it was probably four or five days or not going outside. I was in hostel for a couple of days, um, you know, and then just thing of kind of staying at home. But yeah, I felt like, I mean, I'm close to the park here in London mm. and... Um, you know, I, I walk there almost every day and have been for the last 20-odd years. But this walk for the first time as a family was just extraordinary. I mean, I literally felt like, I don't know, I was on some kind of drugs. And my partner did say, he was like, well, it probably is something to do with, the, you know, the drugs you were given. But I was like, no, no, I think it's the motherhood. And yeah, it just felt extraordinary. And you know what? We actually, because Sandro was literally a week old, we got stopped so many times. Um you know, by people just being curious to sort of, you know, it's see a, tiny, a, a tiny, tiny baby. I mean, you always get stopped for the dogs in the park. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was cute to get stopped for the baby. That is cute. I wonder, like, I suppose it's still, as I say, very early days, but it sounds like Sandra's going to have a very different childhood to the one you've of course. had. Yeah. And have you thought much about, because I know how proud you are to be from Georgia, and I wondered how you're if there's certain things you're thinking of integrating? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, because I kind of feel like it's also hinting at the idea of, you know, I, I have a very privileged life now. You know, I live in West London. You know, my parents are close by. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'd say I'm not materialistic, but, you know, still, like, to not have to worry too much about money is an incredibly sort of rare um, way to live uh, and so yeah I kind of think lots about how do we make sure that Sandro isn't spoiled you know that he grows up to be a, a good citizen of the world um, and of course you know the fact that I do have that background in Georgia I think that will help in some ways because you know I really want to spend summers there with Sandro I want him to experience you know playing out in the streets the way I did you know within safety <laughs> sort of Don't measures picturing it in a safe yeah, way yeah no it is it, it, it was safe but it was like it was great because you know the weather was great in Georgia in the summer times and um you know you could just stay outside for hours 
so I really, you know, want him to see that. And then, of course, I mean, I think he'll, you know, there's there's so much homelessness in London, for example. So, like, he'll see that, obviously. And, you know, I think as long as you give them that context, right? Yeah. Um, but how do you do it? Like, how do you know, being, well, you know, living a privileged life, if, if you don't mind me saying so. No, I don't mind. I think uh, it's something you think about quite a lot. And actually, I, not long ago, I spoke to one of the women who's on Dragon's Den, which is called Sarah Davies. And she said that for her, it comes down to your, you know, your sort of moral compass as a family, really, and your values. And I actually thought that was a really neat way of summing it up because I actually think, broadly speaking, your emotional relationship to, to, to lots of things are sort of formed when you're quite little, mm. whether it be um, love or money or probably music. There's lots of things, lots of strands that are there from the get-go. And if you're raised to value, you know, value having things and opportunities. Yeah. And as you say, contextualise that it's not the same for everybody. I think, as you, as you were saying, it's sort of about being like a decent person with it, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, as a, as a parent yourself, right? You know, so yeah. lead by example. Rather yeah, than and, and if you start to hear something creeping in that you don't think sounds like the right way around, just sort mm. of like say, I mean, I just try and catch it with my kids, really. Yeah. And amazing. say, actually, we're really lucky that we could think about doing that or aren't we lucky that we can all go to cinema and we've yeah. all been able to come and we get to have popcorn or whatever. You know, yeah, it of course. It's a ridiculous thing, but whatever might slightly resonate with them yeah. as, a, as, a, as a privileged thing, really. Yeah, of course. And as they get older and they grow, you know, like a lot of us, you, you speak to your peers, you start to look at news stories, all these kind yeah, of things, yeah. and just keeping an open conversation about, I don't know, I suppose the unfairness of things, really. Yeah, of course. Um. And the ways you can help as well, yeah. be engaged, I suppose. Absolutely. But I did think when she said about values, I thought, actually, I think it does come down to that because you could have, you can, you know, I think you can have a very, um, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say, you can have a relationship with money that actually stays the same whether you've got a lot or a little, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, of course. Oh, that is interesting, actually, because I think the psychology around money is yeah. quite interesting. So, for example, um, you know, I mean, my dad was always a doctor, but because of the fact that we're in Georgia, there was a time where he could have earned more as a taxi driver than as a doctor, you know, so basically the country's infrastructure had completely collapsed. You know, so I kind of grew up in a family that was always concerned about money, um, you know, and worried about it, it sort of disappearing. And um, and I, I think maybe that's why then, yeah, when I kind of... Uh, did well in, in the music industry and made some money, I was always like, oh, it's going to go away at some point. And actually, a couple of years ago, I did one of my sort of journal kind of goals for the year. And I don't do this every year, but I happened to do it that year because bullet journals were a big thing. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> and I actually put down, um, become like emotionally sort of stable with regards to money. I mean, of course, that's not an easy thing to do, but you know, when I, yeah, when I look at my life, the facts are, okay, I don't need to worry about it too much, but actually it does still sometimes kind of haunt me. And, um, and so I did that and, and it did definitely help. Because I did, I remember uh, seeing something from you where you were saying that you love all aspects of music making, the creative side, but also the sort of corporate side as well. Is that something you are? Well, yeah, well, yeah just, just to, to understand be able to, uh, no, you know, just to be able to like, become independent from it you mm. know sorry become like independent out of the fact that you can you know as you say you have the freedom to like go on a nice holiday or yeah go to the cinema um 
it's it's cool. Like, it's cool to be able to do that with music, you know, with something fun. Mm. But, you know, you really do have to work super hard um, and then manage your sort of mental health with how hard you work. I mean, I definitely didn't do that well at a certain point. I had a, I had a burnout in 2010, um, you know, and then since then I've had to just go, you know what, I have to do what sort of, what is the best without kind of killing myself. Um, you know, and I, essentially, it, eventually it does become easier because, you know, I sort of realized actually there are fun ways of working, you know, and also particularly like, for example, with this record, um, I wanted it to feel like a Blue Sky record. And I thought, well, if it's going to be a Blue Sky record, then the process needs to be quite Blue Sky too. Mm. You know, and this was a, a time when I'd just met my partner, you know, you know, just fallen in love, um, just realizing how great and easy it was. And, and I, I sort of wanted to capture those feelings and put it in the work. That's pretty um, much the most ideal way of writing a Blue Sky record, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, I, mean. I guess, you know, just <laughs> essentially, yeah, sort of taking in what is actually happening to you. Um, but then, yeah, you know, I'm so glad I'm here now because in 2010 it kind of got pretty bad. And I, read, I, I heard you saying you were quite grateful for that, uh, that experience and that it sort of showed you you're not invincible, but also did it make you shift things around to protect yourself? Oh, yeah, massively so. Um, yeah, the priorities essentially really shifted. And actually it was, funnily enough, it was the breakdown that made me realise I did want to become a mum. Because before that, I was very much like, I don't know if having a family is going to be for me. But suddenly when I felt like I was going to (laughs) die and came back from the brink of hell, (laughs) I suddenly realised, no, actually, you know, it's very important for me to, you know, to, yeah, to find someone and start a family. Well, I think it's really amazing how open you, you were and continue to be about that experience because I think that, all feeds into helping everybody have a much better relationship with talking about the mental health and looking out for other people. And, you know, with the level of life you were living at that time with your work and being so sort of... There's a thing, isn't there, in the music industry where they think the only good diary is a busy diary. Oh, and yeah, actually, that feeling when you're in the middle of that yeah. is... Uh, so claustrophobic and terrifying exactly when I had panic attacks that was my way of manifesting but but I think it sounds like you were living at next level in terms of the demands on you at that time yeah it was pretty intense I mean it was um I mean I remember there was a particular the summer just before um I flew to America for like a couple of meetings just for two days then I had to fly back to Europe I was doing a show um in Denmark you know, and then we're about to also hit a big European tour in the autumn time. So it was pretty intense. And, you know, and also yeah. like getting up for breakfast TV shows. Yeah. You know, and doing that in like Denmark, Germany, France. It was pretty mad. And everybody's just talking about it. And then we've got this and then we've got that. And they're yeah. all excited. And you're thinking, I don't feel excited about anything you're talking about right now because I know I've got to be there and I've got to be on it and I've got to deliver the show. And exactly. I've got to, it, only, it only works if I am... Um, good at what I'm doing on I the know night. yeah and that pressure is pretty <laughs> immense but yeah. in a way what was tough about it was it wasn't like there was any one person that was kind of responsible for it it was just the way it worked so we mm. had you know the promo person in Holland for example and the promo person in Germany and in France they all want to do a really good jobs so they're trying to like get you the work you know get you yeah. those opportunities um same for America or, or the UK so 
And it was like, well, no, I can't do all of these things because you couldn't say that to them because it meant that, you know... Yeah, you don't demotivate them. Yeah, exactly. Or reject Um, all the work they've been doing. But at the same time, you're thinking, how on earth am I going to spread myself that thin? Exactly. the answer is, you can't. No, absolutely. (laughs) And I guess if you're someone that's always been resilient and coped well and professional and turned up on time and done the job, once you've experienced something where you show you know, the, the, the bits of you that can't handle it, it must make you open up to being hugely empathetic, actually, for all, all people experiencing anything like that. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, um, it's astonishing. Um, I ended up being in hospital for six weeks and um, I had a, a phenomenal doctor looking after me, Dr. Mike McPhillips. And the entire team at the 90 Girl Hospital were fantastic, actually. Um, and he then looked after me for the two years sort of post the breakdown. Um, I did exactly what he told me to do in terms of the medication, came, you know, got weaned off them exactly as I ought to have been. And I'd see him sort of once a year, but there wasn't often a need to see him. Um, and I'm now talking about this because I'm leading to the fact and, you know, I'm so, it's just so devastating that he, he took his own life uh, last year. And it was just such a, such a shock to all of us. Oh, Katie, I'm so yeah. sorry. That's... I know it's it's just horrendous. Um, you know, and he's he you know probably one of the best psychiatrists in you know in London, if not the UK and the world. So you realise actually, you know, even for the people that work in the sector, mm-hmm. um, there's always that kind of vulnerability and fragility, and you just never know what what can happen, what can suddenly change. God, that's very shocking, though, isn't it? I suppose as well for people if they're very good at um, really having quite a holistic approach and really listening to people and taking on board what brought them to the point where they would go and see him. And maybe there's a, a point where you're, you're just taking on so much. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course, it's it's just so, you know, it, I find it tough to talk about. Mm. But he was a truly fantastic person. And he did, you know, such a great job um, in helping me out. But you, yeah, you realise it is important to kind of keep talking about it, and yeah. it's it's quite remarkable what the mind can do. Um, it is, you know, it can lead you to imagine the most exquisite things and also the most horrible things. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just important that we do keep talking about it. Absolutely, no, and I think I do think the taboo of all of it is is, is nothing compared to what it used to be. Really, I think. Yeah, I mean, I never got why it was taboo to talk about Me it. You know, it was quite bizarre. I mean, you know, I really hope I'm going to be teaching Sandro, you know, probably when he's sort of eight, nine years old about how to deal with anxiety attacks, panic attacks, Mm. um, you know, what mental health issues look like, um, just so that he's ready either, you know, hopefully not for himself, but you never know, or for his friends. Yeah. Um, I think it's a useful tool to have. Absolutely. And I think also being open to getting help when you need help is always a good thing. I've done that with my kids too. I think that's pretty vital. And also, you know, if you just understand it can be, that anyone can be susceptible and that there's absolutely nothing that, you know, is detrimental about that. It's actually just, everything's got pros and cons in terms of how people are balanced. And if you're, you know, particularly emotional one way, it might mean you're really open to that. And when you know that about yourself, it's quite good to be aware of it. Um, but no, I'm totally, I know the, the taboo element, especially, especially because once you do open up, you invariably find lots of people have experienced it themselves so or someone true. they care about. And it's actually, 
it's just part of exactly it's complexity of, of being yeah. human taking it on board and you also get to you know as you say about the highs and lows you know if you think about you in 2010 feel like that cut to you in 2023 walking around the park and everything's I know (laughs) (laughs) it's quite it's a nice nice flip of the coin really I know and it sounds like with Sandra he's such a wanted baby and now you're just going to be unfolding the next bit of your career with him in tow I know Um, it's going to be remarkable I mean I I don't know if he's going to you know want to go into music he'll probably have a lot of exposure to music all around him yeah can I ask a slightly sort of like non sequitur question are you actually really into like roller coasters and things like that oh because <laughs> I, I was the, you madly were, yeah, I love yeah. all that kind of stuff Do and I was too? like oh amazing. like amazing because I saw you have a Guinness world record for the the, 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 I'm the deepest underwater, the deepest underwater gig. gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that bizarre. Sounds, that is really cool. It's really weird. Well, basically, we had a phone <laughs> call when, like, just before Nine Million Bicycles came out, um, and we were told that uh, this um, gas rig off the coast of Norway is celebrating its 10-year anniversary, and they want to, you know, have a world record. And would I be up for, you know? performing at the bottom mm. of it and I thought well you know tell me what exactly it involves and it did sound like fun because <laughs> it involved sort of doing all the helicopter training of like a helicopter they have a lot of crashes apparently and so everyone that goes out to the gas rig has to be trained to essentially survive a helicopter crash in the ocean which they which you do by um, going into a helicopter that's lowered into a swimming pool turned upside down and then you have to break the window underwater and like wow. get get out um, so yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. Uh, but and that's I loved doing it. that when you know you're safe because it's just a test thing. Yeah, let alone I know. doing that in real life. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? And then the um, the lift took like ten minutes to go down because I think because of the pressure, they're not allowed to have like it can't be fast really fast. Lift. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was quite bizarre. Exactly. Um, and then the build well. The room itself wasn't glass, so like you didn't see fishes sort of no. <laughs> floating out. They haven't built it for beauty. No, exactly. <laughs> it's just it was just like being in a massive building, um, and I sort of I would look up and you couldn't see the end. Crazy. You couldn't see the ceiling basically. But also, I like the fact that they asked you and you said yes because I think I had a similar thing once where I was asked to do um, an advert for crisps, but in zero gravity. Whoa. And, you know, I feel Amazing. like there's not that many people that say yes to this. I love that. This, but I really loved it. Fantastic. Well, well, what was that like then? Like, Oh, it's great. So you, get, you went up on one of those flights, right? Yeah, they do these parabolas where they wow. sort of drop the plane and then yeah. you like float inside it. So it feels like you're experiencing zero gravity. Yeah, amazing. Um, which is, yeah, totally insane. But you, you can literally push off one ledge and then you just float until oh, you hit the other side of the plane. Wow. But I, don't, so I do think we're quite unique because if we say yes to these things. Do you still have that, though? Like, would you... Because I've... Um, my... my um, <laughs> you're waning. Yeah, I'm definitely waning. I'm taking us to Thorpe Park tomorrow. No? Oh. <laughs> cool. Well, I'd be up for that. There we go. Um, I think I've got worse with heights. Okay, is, yeah. You know, one of those things... That, it all creeps in. I mean, I'm 43 now, and I just feel like all the stuff you've seen is like the sort of cliches, things that yeah, happen yeah, when you yeah. get sort of middle-aged happening to me. Oh. So, yeah, get freaked out with that. But actual rides where I know I'm safe and... Yeah, you're yeah, cool Yeah, I'm that. really into nice. that, yeah. Because I did um, skydives. <laughs> uh, my first one was, I think, when I turned 21, then another one, like, two years later. So I did about five. Okay. Uh, it's sort of spread out over the years. Tandem or...? 
actually the first two were static line jumps because I was actually aiming to become a skydiver. This is pretty mad. Yeah. Whoa. So essentially, you know, <laughs> well, static line is, you know, you, you come out of the plane and the parachute opens instantly because it's attached to the plane. Right. Uh, and then the next two were in tandem. And each year as I did them, the fear kind of crept further up. Yeah, which I can really imagine that. sucks. <laughs> and that definitely interferes with your ambition to become a skydiver. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's <laughs> it. The first time it was, you know, on my own. Second time it was on my own, but a little bit like, mm. Mm. And then, then I sort of started doing it in tandem. Um, do you feel like you were sort of narrowing your chances of something happening? I don't did? know. It was just... Uh, I don't know. I think it was. I think it was the heights for me too. Like I remember, yeah. I had shaking knees more. Yeah. The sort of later I did them. I think as well. Once you have a small person you're responsible for, the idea of putting yourself into a position where you might exactly actually have something bad happen does seem. You know, obviously there are people who do you know, high-risk jobs all the time with kids. But if it's something you're choosing to do... Yeah, no, um, exactly. Because I've thought about doing things like um, wing walking. Oh, lovely. I'd like to try that. Oh, wow. And also, uh, you know, when they do the sort of Red Devil type air, oh, air yes. acrobatics, yeah, yeah. aerobatics, yeah. I'd quite like to be in, not do it, but sit there Wonderful. while they do that. Amazing. But um, But then sometimes I think it's kind of... Yeah, it'd just be a sad way for my kids yeah. to say I'd pop my clothes really. <laughs> well, my mum was wing walking one day, just for fun. And <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but I think when you can do it with your kids, that's quite fun. I've definitely exactly. I've done some things with, yeah. with them and that's nice. Um, my eldest has got the same thing as me. We both like a roller coaster. Into, oh, fantastic. So don't worry, you that. might be sat there with Sandra. Yeah, day, exactly. Just, Here we go. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Uh, well, um, I'm hoping if I hang around long enough talking to you, I might actually get to see your baby. I know. <laughs> you know what? Actually, he's drew a feed about half to I could give my mum a call, see if That'd they're close nice. by. And yeah, in the meantime, lovely. I wish you all the best with the new album. Thank you so um, much. The song I've heard is so beautiful. I genuinely think it's gorgeous. And I think your career has had so much interest and complexity and beautiful stuff. Oh, and as an aside... Everybody I spoke to when I said I was coming to see you had nothing but lovely things to say, oh. which is really cool. <laughs> and I spoke this morning to my radio producer, David, and he told me he had you on when he was producing Terry Rogan's show. Oh, wonderful. And Mark Owen was there as well. Oh, wow. And you were having a picture taken, and Mark Owen said, where are you from? And you said, George, and you went, America. Oh, yeah. And Terry Rogan thought <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it happens to the best of us. But, um, yeah, I just wish you continued success, Katie. Thank you so much. The it's you, been Bubba. an absolute Congratulations. pleasure. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was lovely Katie Melua, who also has a very lovely baby, I might add, who I met shortly after we finished talking. And uh, I wish her all the best with the new album and all her touring. I think um, it's beautiful that she's making such a lovely album and that she's found motherhood so empowering. That does not always happen. But it's a really lovely thing that she spoke about that, especially after having such dark days. It's nice that the sun has come out for her again and she's feeling good. And I thank her very much for her candle. And I'm sure you would appreciate that too, because it's it's good for people to talk about, about when they've felt like that, but also to remind people that when you speak about it, it's generally because you're at a place where you're feeling so much better. Um, and also, you know, for me, it's so nice talking speaking to other singers I'm just constantly curious to you know find out how they do that you know working being a mum and 
raising your kid and wanting to be with them, but also needing to do the thing for yourself and also how it makes you feel with your creative self, like where it influences you, what songs you want to write, how it makes you sing, all of those things. I found it such a big shift for me. Um, and actually, it seems like with Katie having her baby and then working on an album at the same time, that's impressive. I, I don't think I could have done that with my first baby, actually. When I had Sonny, I just needed to kind of stop and catch my breath. And uh, it took me ages to write my third album after I'd had him. I just didn't really know which way was up for a while. And uh, yeah, so I didn't really get that kind of confidence of, of keeping my creative stuff going alongside being a mum. I think I got better as I went on, but I think really it was not until my like fourth kid that I felt like I could really interweave them like that. So I definitely didn't get there like she did. But I do really appreciate that she spoke to me and thank you to her warmth and her generosity and thank you to you for listening, of course. And I hope everything is all right with you. I'm just happy to be back. I'm really happy I can speak again. If you were listening to the last series and the way I was talking at the end of that, blimey, that was while I was on European tour and I got sick and uh, got through the gigs. But, (laughs) oh my God, my speaking voice. I'm sorry if you had that rattling around in your ears. It's nice to be able to talk and to sing again. Great. And I've realised, actually, the weekend after this, I have my first festival. So that means we've really kind of got into festival season again. Isn't that crazy? You going to any festivals this year? So many lovely ones around. I'm playing lots of them, so hopefully I'll see you there. And um, last year we had such a lot of gorgeous sunny days, so that would be nice again, please. But anyway, it'd be nice to be in the field, singing at Folk again. My first one of the season is in Brighton, so that's going to be fun. I love going to Brighton. Can't wait, actually. And in the meantime, yeah, just keep this series going. We've got people from, again, all walks of life, some really interesting conversations. I can't—I don't know why it's funny. I could just tell you now who I've got, but I kind of quite like eking it out, partly because I still don't know what order I'm going to do things in, but also because I kind of feel like that's quite fun, the surprise. And each week the person can stand, that I've checked, you know, my guest that week can kind of stand in their own space. So, yeah, you're going to find out next week, aren't you? With like, it's a little uh, tantalising cliffhanger that I'm leaving you on. Anyway, I'm now going to... I've got the rest of the day off work, so I'm going to do a couple of little jobs and then I've got to um, organise myself for these birthdays coming up. Go and get that helium canister out the attic and uh, sort out the balloons and the cake and all that stuff. But it's nice. I can't believe my oldest baby's going to be 20 next year. Blimey. That is crazy. I'm excited for him. It's funny. All he has to do is get older and I'm like super proud and excited. I, I genuinely think I get more excited about his birthdays than he does. He's quite kind of nonchalant. And I'm like, you've got to be 19. This is amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope everything is cool with you. Thank you so much for coming to find me here again. And should we do it all again next week? I think so. Great. See you soon. Have a good week. Speak to you later. Bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.